I've spoken often about Rod Serling's formative years as a writer and how one of the mediums he first worked in was radio. He never wrote The Twilight Zone itself for radio, but you only need to go back to the episode that I did called The Story of Dust to realise that what Rod Serling did on radio would sometimes come back in a different way on The Twilight Zone. Classic American radio shows have been an unexpected passion of mine now for several years, discovered by accident when I stumbled across an episode of X-1. But for a Twilight Zone fan to be a fan of classic radio, that's not an accident. They are both in the realms of the imagination. And my guest tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast really embodies that. Carl Armari is the co-author of a new book called The Top 100 Classic Radio Shows. Now I have it here on my desk in front of me and it is a beautiful hardback volume packed with photographs of radio stars from the classic age and each of the hundred radio shows featured in it gets a two-page spread given details on the show and pieces of trivia but also included are three CDs with examples of several of the radio shows on them, but also a website address to go and download an episode of the rest. Now the beauty of this book for me is that you could go about it systematically and start from page one and read the entry and then listen to the radio show either on one of the CDs or via the website link or you could just read it cover to cover but what I tend to do is just pick it up every now and again and maybe I'll open the book and pick a page at random and read one entry or maybe I'll read 10 you know it's just such easy reading and easy to get lost in as well I mentioned that Carl Armari is the co-author of the book and the person who wrote it with him is a name that anyone who listens to this podcast will be familiar with because I mention his Twilight Zone book very often and it is of course Martin Grams Jr. So we know that with his name comes a great eye for research and a real depth of knowledge. So if that wasn't Twilight Zone connection enough for you then there is one more connection to mention and it's a big one And it brings Rod Serling's beginnings in classic radio through to the Twilight Zone and then around full circle into a wonderful amalgamation of the two. Carl Armari is not just a Twilight Zone fan, but he was the creator of Twilight Zone Radio. See, everything's connected and I'll be speaking to him about that in a moment too. Now one little note about this interview, it is obviously a transatlantic recording and unfortunately there is the odd little dropout here and there when Carl is talking. Now some of them I could edit around but other times when Carl is just giving you gold it's best to just leave those little drops in rather than cut any of it out because it is great stuff. So without further ado, let's have a listen to when I spoke to Carl Armari. 
I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your book in a moment. But before we do, I know that classic radio has been a passion of yours since childhood. So on a personal level, purely as a fan, what is it about those radio shows that makes them so special to you? There's really no other medium like it mm-hmm. because it, it, um, it makes you use your imagination like really no other form of entertainment because it gives you great actors, sound effects, and music, and that's your tools. Mm-hmm. And so your mind, it, that's really, I mean, that's an amazing palette for your mind to paint the picture. Because yeah. you have these tremendous actors that really knew how to tell, how to perform on radio, which is a different technique than you know in the movies or TV. Mm-hmm. And you had writers that were writing for radio, knowing that there was no visual. So, you know, you weren't ever lost. You weren't listening to these radio shows and going, "What's happening right now?" They always made sure you knew what was happening. They were very, you know, cognizant of the fact that you didn't have the visual. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I grew up watching TV. So when I first heard a radio broadcast, uh, you know, dramatized radio show, it was totally new to me. I didn't, I didn't even know it existed. Born in 1953, I heard my first show in 1975. I was 12. Uh-huh. So radio is an art form as far as classic radio was long over. You know, it was over in the 50s. Yeah. And I had never even known it existed. So it really just... Um, it, it, it um, piqued my interest when I heard my first show because I've never experienced anything like it. And I just thought it was more interesting than watching TV. As much as I like TV, uh, I like the radio shows even more. Can you remember that first show that hooked you in? I, I do. It was Suspense uh-huh. on a Country Road starring Cary Grant. Have you ever, have you ever heard the show? I, I've heard a lot of Suspense, uh, but I haven't heard that one, no. I'm going to have to look that one up. Oh my gosh! You got to listen to that one. It's pretty. It's pretty powerful. Okay, I will. I will definitely look that one up. But then this passion for radio kind of became your business as well, didn't it? So, could, yes. you, could you maybe give the listeners a rundown of, of the work you've done over the years, hunting down these shows and licensing them for release and that kind of thing? Sure. Well, I you know I just started out as a fan. You know, I I wasn't I wasn't in the business. Of, of licensing the shows at, in the beginning, I just was collecting them mm-hmm. on cassette tape and things like that. And then when I got into college in 1981, I was, uh, I decided to be a communications major and I got my own radio show on the college radio station. And I was playing the classic radio shows and I got a cease and desist letter, <laughs> oh, wow. which was, which was, uh, it was, it was terrified me, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it educated me to the fact that these classic radio shows um, are not all public domain. There are some that have fallen into the public domain, but the majority of these shows are are copyrighted and are protected um, mm. by all kinds of different copyright, including common law copyright and whoever wrote them and things like that. And the networks paid for a lot of them. So CBS owns tons and tons of shows and NBC. So I learned that at a very young age, in my, you know, I was 18 when I, when I first uh, discovered that these shows are not all public domain. Hmm. So then I decided, you know what, I, I don't want to give up playing these shows on the radio. And I think if I have the rights, I could potentially expand it beyond a 10 watt college radio station. Mm-hmm. And so I started to investigate 
who owned the rights. And the, the man who helped me the most was George Burns. George, when I contacted his agent, he, he, um, he put me in touch with George Burns and I ended up becoming very close friends with George Burns about the last five years of his life. Uh-huh. And George, um, used to take me to the, um, to his country club and he used to meet me to Jerry Lewis and, uh, Melton Burrell and so many other, um, people that own these rights. Yeah. And then those people helped me connect with other people. So it ended up kind of becoming a snowball effect. And I started licensing these shows and, and I, I was not a wealthy kid. I was, I was, I was poor, mm. I was broke. But what I, what I did was I promised them that if I made money with the shows that I would pay royalties, I would keep very good records. And I would, that, that part I could do, I could keep track of selling them and airing them and pay a royalty. And they thought that was interesting because other people were using these shows and not paying. Mm. And that was, and so I was someone who was willing to pay to have the right to use them. And what was a, a byproduct of that was getting the man. If I said to George Burns, you know, if I licensed the shows, then he would give, he would master recordings and same with all of the other shows. So I actually had a leg up on, on other people because I had the master recordings. Yeah. It turned into a very big business. Wow. What were these master recordings on? Was it some sort of tape or something? A lot of them were the actual 16 inch transcription discs. Wow. Okay. And a lot of them were on tape. So like once the late, you know, mid forty, yeah, there was a lot less of the 16 inch transcription discs. When I say, when I say the war, I mean, world war two, because mm. in during world war two from 45, we used to, America used to put these shows on 16-inch discs mm-hmm. and ship them overseas for our men and women fighting overseas. And so that's why a lot of these shows exist on, on 16-inch discs. Yeah. But once the war was over in 45, there really wasn't any need to, to do that unless it was a syndicated show. Right. Like MGM did a lot of syndicated shows like, like The Story of Dr. Kildare and Humphrey Bogart did Bold Venture syndicated and Box 13 and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, but now you had that. Now you had tape, you know, Ampex tape. So a lot of them were on Ampex recordings. However, they had them, and sometimes they were they did their own transfers prior to my getting involved. Yeah. Um, and so I would get I, that tape early on. Now it's all on drives. I see. So this this sort of lifelong love of radio has now led to this collaboration with um, someone Twilight Zone fans will all know, Martin Grams Jr. In, in this new book that you've um, that you've released, first of all, I have to say congratulations on producing such a beautiful book. Um, I, you Thank know, you. I absolutely love it. I can't walk past it without picking it up. You know, and I, and I think that's the beauty of it. You can read it for five minutes, or you can read it for two hours. You know, it, it's it's so well put together. You know, the title is quite self-explanatory, but for anyone who hasn't come across it yet, could you maybe tell us about the book and maybe the evolution of it and that collaboration with Martin Grams Jr.? Well, I've always been a fan of Martin because he's probably the the best writer about the golden age of radio, and he's done such exhaustive uh, studies and so much research with microfilm and everything mm-hmm. else that he does. I mean, his books, I mean, I, I, I own all of his books, his suspense book done. And I'm, and I'm just fascinated that he was able to, uh, find all this amazing, uh, things out about the classic radio shows. Mm-hmm. So I always was a big fan of Martin. 
Um, and then this publisher, Portable Press, um, and uh, asked me to write a book about the golden age of radio. And, uh, and because they wanted it to be interactive, where using some digital downloads and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, great, but I'm not the greatest writer. So um, I'd like to bring in a writing partner on this. Um, that way, Martin and I could both kind of do what we both do best, a lot of writing, and he did a lot of writing on it. And he, so it was a kind of a joint F road I would tweak and what he, he you know, uh, I would tweak, you know, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we came up with elections and, and then Martin had this, uh, had such a, a wealth of that from this network to that network. Or, so he did a lot of that too. So my hat's off to Martin because he was just, a, a, you know, a, an amazing contributor to this book, authored the book. Um, and then all of the pictures that you see are, are really from both of our libraries, of our personal libraries. And then um, also we licensed a lot. And then the radio shows come from the rights that, um, that I control. So yeah. we were able to put I, what I, I'm very proud of it. It's called the top 100 classic radio shows and how it came about is we sent a, a questionnaire out to people that we believe are really experts in the field of, of the golden age of radio. It wasn't any kind of like going into uh, any, any ratings or like the, what were the top shows most listened to then because I didn't think that was as important. Mm. What do people think about these shows now? Because these same people are going to read, you know, those are the people that are going to buy the book and read the book. So we, we I would send out, we sent out a, probably 30 or 40 questionnaires to people that we respect in this business and then feel the top 100 classic radio shows. And there were obviously a lot of them that were on everybody's list, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, uh-huh. um, Burns and Allen. You know, those are the obvious ones. Then there were uh, very interesting ones that came in that I didn't make the list. They didn't make my list, at least, like something like um, Death Valley Days or Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. I, I didn't really think about that or some of the soap operas. Um, but they were on the majority of a lot of these lists. So we went down to 100 and then we went to work. It, it's funny, isn't it? What you were talking about rights earlier on. And we live in an age now where these things are just shared around the internet with with no regard for the rights i guess um which which funnily enough is how i discovered it though i i don't think i would have really discovered them if they weren't out there but now there is this way of kind of uh getting this book and sampling a whole range of radio and then you can pick them up legitimately from you know uh, the proper outlet but what I'd like to do just quickly is, if I maybe suggest a genre, could you maybe think of a show that's mentioned in the book that you think is a good example sure. for maybe a, a new listener to uh, to check out? So what's a good crime show for a classic radio newbie to check out? So I would say you know, crime kind of covers mystery and detective. So with crime, there's a... There's a show that I just have as far as a crime show called Crime Classics. I don't uh-huh. know if you've ever heard of it. No. But um, Crime Classics was was created by Elliot Lewis, and Elliot Lewis uh, was a was a big uh, producer director. He actually played Frankie Remley on the So Harris and Alice Faye show. Mm-hmm. He was uh, an actor producer. He drew, he was a producer on Suspense for a while, and he, along with Morton Fine and David Friedkin, created a show called Crime Classics. And what they did was they took an incident in history like the um, uh, something like uh, Lizzie Borden. Mm. And they 
monetized it, but in such a an incredible way. So so it puts you in right to that time. And they hired Bernard Herrmann, who I'm sure you know, mm. it was the composer that Orson Welles used and one of the greatest composers. Yeah. So when you, you know, if it happened in 1875 or whatever year it was, that's the kind of music you heard and they talked. It'll, the dialogue was, you know, like that. Like if you see the movie, and the, the movie that I just love is the movie Unforgiven that Clint Eastwood, the mm. Western. When you watch that movie, you feel like you're in that time because of the way they talk and, you know, and the music and everything. And that's what they did with this series. It's a wonderful crime series. But as far as detectives, I mean, I love Sherlock Holmes. I love, you know, but my favorite detective series of all is Boston Blackie. And I I love Boston Blackie because he really wasn't a detective. He was really, he was a, he was a, he was a Jew and diamonds thief and he was rehabilitated and when he came out of jail, he had this knowledge of the underworld because mm. he was a criminal, but now he was rehabilitated. And so he was a very good detective, amateur detective, because he understood the criminal mind, Yeah. but he was now a good guy. So he would solve crimes, uh, you know, as an amateur detective. And, and he, and the person who played the role on radio, Dick Kalmar, I think really embodied the character. He was sort of a smart alecky kind of guy, and he had just the right voice for it. And uh, to me, Boston Blackie is really an interesting detective show. Mm-hmm. But um, I love Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Uh, I love The Shadow. Um, you know, Orson Welles, of course, played The Shadow for a while, first yeah. couple of years. And um, so that those are the ones in the crime. Okay. How about science fiction? Well. Two come to mind. The two best, I think, science fiction were Dimension X and uh, then X minus one. Dimension X came first. And the great thing about, about Dimension X and X minus one, this was, this came out on radio in a time when there really wasn't any adult science fiction. The only mm-hmm. science fiction on the radio back in the 40s and 50s was like kids shows like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. There really wasn't any adult science fiction. Yeah, And Dimension X really was the first adult science fiction series. All the great writers of adult science fiction at the time, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, um, you know, Ray, uh, Robert Block, and they would take their stories that were in Astounding Science Fiction magazine and would dramatize them and did a great job. And, they, and, um, and then when it went off the air a couple of years later, they revived it as X minus one. And so a lot of the same stories and new stories. I, uh, I, I love those shows. Absolute classics. How about a horror show then? I love the horror. <laughs> Tough to pick. I would have to say, well, suspense, you know, it wasn't always horror, but there was a lot of horror on it. Yeah. But the best horror would have to be lights out. I think in inner sanctum mystery mm. um, lights out was so great because it was on late at night. Started out as a as a as a show here in Chicago. I, I live in the Chicago area. Yeah. Started out as a fifteen minute show at midnight, and the the great the uh, it was on NBC, and the uh, they were like, ah, nobody's listening at midnight anyway. So you know you can go all out. And the creator was Willis Cooper, uh-huh. and he ended up uh, writing directing for Hollywood horror movies, including, I think, The Bride of Frankenstein and things like that in Hollywood. But he, he started out in radio, and he was like, okay. And he did the most grisly stuff on his show. I mean, people would get their heads cut off, and, you know, 
and, and he used all <laughs> these grisly sound effects. And so Lights Out to me was interesting to listen to those early shows. And then it became a phenomenon. And, and, and then they put it on earlier. They, they made it a half an hour. Yeah. And they toned it down a little bit, but it still was probably the most horrific show. And they brought in Arch Obler. Arch Obler then took over for Willis Cooper. And um, some of the, you know, like Cat Wife and where the wife turns into a cat. You know, Boris Karloff is the husband on that. And um, they did one called um, Murder Castle, which was all about H.H. Holmes. You know, the America's first serial killer. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was just a really, it was a really interesting to lights out's probably the most horrific. And then inner sanctum was great because it was more tongue in cheek. It was scary, but then you had this ghoulish host at the beginning and the end kind of, uh, telling funny, kind of, kind of morbid, funny joke. And you, you didn't really know how to react because you were so frightened <laughs> by the show, but then you had this guy cracking these jokes. It was pretty, pretty cool series. And, in, uh, Hyman Brown, um, one of the, masters of uh of, of radio yeah. producers you know it's a great radio producer uh created that series and i got to know hyman very well over the years and i uh, had dinner with him a few times and he used to tell me uh, a lot of stories about uh inner sanctum and and uh then later he did the cbs radio mystery theater right um so yeah just uh th- those are probably the th- scariest one suspense too that's another really good one good good and uh, and maybe finally because um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of classic radio, but when it comes to comedy, I don't, I don't really know where to begin because comedy doesn't always travel well across the years. But what, what's a good sure. comedy show? Well, I mean, what you just said is so true. I mean, a lot of the shows were topical, so you, they don't work today. You know, mm. um, as great of a as great of a of a wit that Fred Allen was and Fred Allen, when you listen to the shows, if you know history and you're able to put yourself in, in, in 1943 or whatever year that that shows, but if you don't know history or if you're, if you're, you know, just not, uh, you know, not interested in topical humor, then it's not going to work for you. Mm. But, but the, this situation comedy shows still work like, you know, life of Riley because it was just a family man and he was, um, you know, trying to get along. He was an airplane riveter and he had a family and he was trying to make a buck. Uh-huh. Um, that works today, you know, life of Riley and, um, you know, the Jack Benny show was yeah. very interesting. I, I've always thought what's, what's fascinating to me are shows you see on television today, like for instance, the Seinfeld show, right? Seinfeld's running and reruns all over. You get it there. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and that show, I can I can take every character from that show and correlate it to the Jack Benny program. And oh, wow. there's so many shows like that. Like, for instance, you know, with Jack Benny, he was a comedian named Jack Benny, uh-huh. and he was sort of a sort of a famous person. And he had this group of people around him that were all kind of zany characters: Phil Harris and Don Wilson and Mary Livingston. He sort of kind of dated Mary Livingston a little bit, you know, even though he was really married to her in, in real life, he wasn't on the show. Mm-hmm. So he played sort of a care. He played a form of himself, right? He played sort of Jack Benny, but with zany characters around him. Well, that's exactly what Seinfeld is. Jerry Seinfeld yeah, yeah. on the show is a comedian who does night stand up. He dated Elaine. He had these crazy characters, George and, and Kramer and, and those are all sort of 
uh, amalgamations of these characters on the Jack Benny program. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh-huh. the, 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 uh, it's just a, a form of, of, uh, flattery really when you're, when you take something that you, and, and you embellish it and, and make it today. And that's what they did with the, with the Seinfeld show and Duffy's Tavern on radio was all set in a bar and it was these crazy characters. And there was the main guy, you know, who ran the bar. Um, and that was what, you know, cheers was cheers was the same exact show. Wow. And, um, you know, so there's, in fact, in fact, the head writer on Duffy's Tavern, Abe Burroughs, uh-huh. his son is James Burroughs who created cheers. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a form of an, an homage to these, to these programs. And I can just go, the television show, white collar, there's uh-huh. a TV show called white collar. It's not on anymore, but since it, that's Boston Blackie, you know, that guy was a kind of a criminal and the police, you know, went to him to help solve crimes and same thing with Boston Blackie. I mean, there, there. It's it, these shows, these radio shows, are the beginning of what you see now. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always new ideas, but a lot of them are based on, in one form or another, on these radio shows. And uh, you know, I guess linking into the Twilight Zone because you know sailing had his start in radio as well. One of your other creative endeavors, the thing I probably know you most for, is. Twilight Zone Radio. You know, what a great way to keep the Twilight Zone alive. Could you maybe give us some background on how you developed that? Sure. Um, I grew up watching TV, mm-hmm. and the Twilight Zone was a show that I loved as a kid and still do, and, and always thought that it would work potentially even better on radio because, you know, when you look back at the radio shows, the majority of them made the transition to television. Mm. Hop Along Cassidy was a radio show. Jack Benny was a radio show. Um, you know, on and on and on. Red Skelton was a radio show. Burns and Allen was a radio show. And then they made the transition to television. And dramas, same thing with dramas. Dragnet, radio show, TV show, you know. So I thought it would be fascinating because as you watch Twilight Zone, I'm talking about the early ones now, the Black mm. Of course. When you watch those and you sometimes see the makeup, you sometimes see the zipper along the back of the Martian's costume, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the special effects are not the greatest because you're talking about low budget. You're talking about before a lot of the, the advent of computer um, special effects and things like that. So you, it was what it was and it was great. Mm. I'm not knocking it. I'm saying it, you know, it was great for what it was. But your imagination can create these incredible scenes, right? Martians and, and you're on another planet. What could that look like in your imagination if you give people the sound effects and the music and the acting? Uh-huh. So I, I, when I got to a point in my career where I wanted to expand beyond just taking classic radio shows and packaging them and putting them on the radio and selling them on CD, I thought it would be really fun to... Um, take a show, a brand like the Twilight Zone, and turn it in. Turn go the, do the opposite. Turn it into a radio show. Do mm. the opposite of what was used to be done, 
where they took radio, turned it into TV. I wanted to take a TV show and turn it into a radio show. Yeah. And I thought that Twilight Zone would be the best because on the Twilight Zone, as you know, it's every genre. You have comedy, you have sci-fi, you have, you have uh, mystery, you have horror. Primarily, it's science fiction, but you had westerns. You had all kinds of things on the Twilight Zone. It ran the gamut, really. Mm. So that was interesting to me. And I pitched the idea to CBS because they own the Twilight Zone. And they said, you know, produce a pilot. Yeah. You want to pay for a pilot, produce a pilot, let us listen to it. We'll entertain your, your nutty idea. <laughs> so <laughs> I did. So I, I, I took um, uh, the, very, the pilot I did was Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why I chose that one, but that was just the one I, I did. And um, I pitched it to Robert Wagner was the first person I thought would be interested interesting is the voice because I think he has a really interesting voice and then at the time I was making I was uh, becoming friends with Stacy Keach because his father Stacy Keach senior produced mm. tales of the Texas Rangers and um and so I met Stacy junior you know my camera you know uh, yeah, he's known yeah. as my camera and does a lot of voiceover stuff and is a fabulous actor one of the greatest actors of our time in my opinion just an amazing he can play anything do anything mm-hmm. Um, I pitched it to him and he was like, I'm your man. I'd love to do that. So we had Stacy Keach and then we, um, we did the pilot and came out real, real, you know, uh, good in my opinion and took it to CBS and they said, okay, we love it. Go for it. So they gave me all of the television scripts mm. and all the music, which included a lot of Bernard Herman scores. And they gave me all of the CBS library music and um and all this amazing music scores but it doesn't work in syndication in a half hour so i had to elongate the shows you know the most of the twilight zone shows are, are 22 minutes on television so i i took the scripts and i hired amazing writers including dennis Hutchinson. yeah um and um dennis is a tremendous writer and he understands the the the, the art of writing for radio and um we, he would, he would pad them, but not in a way where it was fluff. It was, he would add scenes that made sense. Mm. And so we, we, we filled them out to about 40 minutes. And that way with the openings and closings and sound and music and everything and commercials that fit into a 55 minute show, which is what broadcast needs because there's news at the top of the hour and, and the rest is, is the show. And so I did 186 episodes of wow. that of that show. And it was, I have to tell you, it was one of the most, uh, just, I I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was a, such a fascinating time. I, Mm. I, I look back at 2002 to 2006 when I did those shows and I was, you know, I mean, that's, I was knocking out, um, couple a week, you know, we would do one or two a week, that that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, bringing in amazing actors, I could, you know, Lou Gossett Jr. and Michael York and Jane Seymour and, you know, Sean Astin and Lou Diamond Phillips, and Luke yeah. Perry, and just all these great, amazing, you know, Jim Caviezel and just so many people wanted to do it. I had very few people that said no. And, you know, and I wasn't on a budget like of a television show or something like that. So I wasn't able to pay these actors a ton of money. I was able to mm-hmm. not pay them very much, you know. 
And they all wanted to do it. They just thought it was the coolest thing. And we'd fly them into Chicago, and I had I had uh, studios. I uh, had built my own studios, and we did it all in house. And we would um, we bring the actor in, and we do two shows. We 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 do the audio, the fo- vocal, for uh-huh. two shows in one day. We'd get there in the morning. We would do sort of a um, not really a table read. We would just kind of um, get familiar with the character and talk about it and ask any questions. I'd have the cast there. And then we'd scrub through it. We'd record it, but we'd scrub through it. Like we'd, we'd do, let's say four pages and go back and do those four pages again. And then we'd do the next four pages and then go back and do the, we'd sort of just scrub it. I used to call it scrubbing through. (laughs) And, and then, um, and then we, you know, we'd lay that all down. I had mics. I had all Neumann mics and it was all it really, you know, it was a big room because mm-hmm. we had a lot of people in that room and I was in the room with them, you know, and I was directing yeah. and, uh, and if, if I had to say something to somebody, I just said it and then we just go back as we were going to scrub through it as we recorded it. And, um, it was just a, it was a really fun time and we'd break and have a lunch brought in and then we'd do the next show and we'd be out of there by five or six o'clock. So we'd start about nine, be done at five. We'd do two shows with the same star. Wow. A lot of fun. I mean, first of all, you mentioned Stacy Keach. What I like about bringing him in is it kind of reminds me about when the original Twilight Zone wanted to get Orson Welles in to do the, you know, yeah. what Rod Sailing ended up doing because Stacy Keach, as a younger man, has a very intense look about him like um, Orson Welles did. And, you know, the older he gets, yeah. the better his voice gets. So he was such a perfect choice. But but then you have these amazing people coming in. Was it just, was it the name, the Twilight Zone that, that they all wanted to be a part of? I think so, Tom, because, you know, they, they, um, they, everybody knew it. When I'd say the Twilight Zone, they obviously knew what it was. And, and then we say, I would say, but it's a radio drama, you know, and they would say, Ooh, you know, cool. Um, no makeup, no memorizing lines. I'm in, you know, um, which made it so easy because even if the actor was very, very busy, they didn't have to do much prep for it. You know, they'd read the script and, oh, I like it. And mm-hmm. I had very few people, and I mean, very few people turn me down on it. Um, I remember sending, um, I would generally send like three scripts to an actor for them yeah. to read and then choose two scripts. Uh-huh. And so I would say, which two do you like the most? I, I, I like you for all three of these. Which one do you, which, which two would you like to do? That's how I would generally do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember some actors would say, well, I can't choose. I want to, can I do all three? You know? <laughs> and, and I would say, bingo. Okay. You know, and then we, we, we would do, uh, and then what I would do with that actor is I'd, I'd have, I'd find another script for them generally. And then we do it in two days. Mm. and knock out four shows yeah one of the things that always impresses me as well is that some twilight zones don't necessarily lend themselves to radio something like the invaders or two mm-hmm. you know those episodes just on the surface don't don't really lend themselves to radio but you you managed to do it w- was there ever any that you came to and thought oh, we just can't do this on radio? Or was it just a case of saying, we're going to find a way to do this? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, 
you know, this may be the one of the first times I've ever been asked this because uh, you obviously know your 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 Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, with kudos to you because you know, yeah, when that came about to do a show like The Invaders, yeah, um, or um, what's the one uh, with the with the girl? Uh, oh gosh, I'm trying. I, I did so many of these. So yeah. My my mind is. Uh, but there was one where uh, they reveal she reveals and she doesn't look anything like the people. You know, she had a surgery and you know oh eye of the beholder eye of the beholder yeah mm. that one was particularly difficult because that is so visual right it doesn't mm. work um unless you have the visual right because yeah. they 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 they're making fun of her she's not attractive and then she's going to have the surgery and then she ends up looking and but then you notice that all the all the other people are are ugly and she, now she's beautiful right okay so it's mm. it, it, it's a it's a it's all visual. That was a tough one. And, um, and the invaders, because it's one person it was Agnes Moorhead. Right. And how do you do that on radio? Well, I can take zero credit. I take absolutely no credit <laughs> for it because it's all about the writing. And I, and that luckily I had amazing writers mm. who came up with unique techniques. Like for instance, on invaders, the writer, said, well, we have to bring in another character. She can't, she can't be doing this all in her head. Mm. Right. So we had her married and they were being attacked and they were able to talk to each other. That's how we got around that one. And, and, um, again, it was all just, I would read the script and I would say, you know, bravo, because these, I very rarely ever had to tweak anything because these writers just were so good you know like a Dennis Etchison you know so, so great definitely some some genius ways of uh, of pulling it off I think in the show yeah do, do you have a favorite episode that you did yeah you know so there's so many that I love but um there was one there was one that I just thought came out so great um there's a there's I mean I I love I love them all, and I and I mm. listen to them every every now and again, you know, and 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 say, wow, you know, this was this was quite a quite a production. Yeah, because we really did. We had great great supporting actors and writing and all that. But there was one, um, the Jeff Myrtle Bank one, you know, uh, the whole title of it, but it was something about Jeff Myrtle Bank. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? The Last Rites of Jeff Metalbank. The Last Rites of, yeah. And when you think of that that story, you wouldn't think like, okay, why, you know, what's so great about that? Well, it just worked on radio. So here was this person, here was this character that comes back to life, right? He's mm. he's in a coffin and they're, they're at his funeral and he comes to life and they don't <laughs> know why he came to life, right? And it's just worked so well on radio that particular episode is just mm. amazing the other one that i think is one of my favorite ones uh um lou diamond phillips did it the one uh with um originally it was uh kevin mccarthy uh long live walter janus mm. yeah and i met kevin mccarthy once and talked to him quite a bit about that particular episode and yeah, a very nice man um yeah. but we had i had uh Lou Diamond Phillips did that show, and that's another one, Mike, one of my favorites. And those, those two, but I mean, there's so many. I mean, some of the ones Stan Freeberg did, like um, the one where he's um, wants everybody to to be uh, four inches high. I think it's called four four o'clock. Mm, yeah, the four o'clock. Four, uh-huh. four 
clock. Yeah, he's going to make everybody <laughs> in the world shrink to four inches high at four o'clock today. He's going to will it to happen. Yeah. And I and you know Stan Freeberg and I were very close friends. He um he was the host of my show when radio was for years. And um, what a wonderful guy he was. And um and I asked him, hey, you know, would you like to do some of these? And he was like, I I would love to do the Twilight Zone. I you know, I, I, I did a lot of radio as a, as a young actor and, uh, he had his own radio show too, the Stan Freeberg show on CBS. And he just got into it, you know, but, um, that, that's another really good one. Um, uh, four o'clock. That's one you shouldn't miss. Yeah. And, uh, and then some of my heroes, you know, I would cast my heroes like, like Adam West, who was a guy who grew up watching on TV. You know, he was Batman. And, um, so many, so many great actors. I mean, I've always just loved Lou Gossett Jr. And to be able to work with him and, um, uh, just so many Michael York and, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And you, and you actually brought in some Twilight Zone actors, didn't you? And cast them in different roles. I did. Yeah. You know, I always thought that would be fun. Like Shelley Berman, did some mm-hmm. H uh, H M Winant did some for me, and um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, there was there was quite a few, you know, quite a few people as I think back. Um, and I would and I never I never wanted them to do the role that they did on on the television show because I never wanted people to think it was like soundtracks from the TV show. Yeah. So yeah. with H M Winant, you know, he did. Uh, you know, the howling man, of course, on tel- on television. And I had him do, you know, completely different ones for me. And I think he appreciated that too, because he didn't, he doesn't necessarily want to be known as just the guy that, you know, did the howling man, you know, I could do other things. And of course he did. He was a, a very prolific actor, um, did a lot of, a lot of things, but, um, yeah, that, I thought that that would be, I think people that love the twilight zone would really get a kick out of that hearing, a particular actor, you know, Morgan Brittany, who played a little girl in one of them, right? She, mm. she did a completely different role for me and, and stuff like that. Yeah, amazing show. I, I absolutely love it. Well, Carl, that, that's all the questions I have for you today. But, um, you, you know, the book is called The Top 100 Classic Radio Shows. It's by you and Martin Grams Jr. And, and that can be picked up pretty much anywhere, right? Amazon and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the best way is Amazon because they're the best with shipping and they get uh-huh. it to you quick and they generally always have it in stock. But um, yeah, um, thank you for that plug. I appreciate it very much. I'm so glad you like the book. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Is, is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners about? Uh, maybe anything you're working on or maybe where they can they can legitimately get these radio shows if if they want to explore them more? Yeah, I mean, I have a website, classicradiostore.com, and if you go there, um, there's thousands and thousands of shows available for digital download. And and in fact, you know what? The the show that you were that you said you never heard of Suspense on a Country mm. Road, uh-huh. I, it's it's there and it's free. I want I um because because it's the first show I ever heard, I want yeah. and it hooked me. I want people to really hear something and get excited about it. 
And so yeah. I, it's the very first episode on the site, and you can digitally download it for free. Oh, wow. I will, I will put a link in the notes to that one then so people can go there. That's great. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Have me back again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to do it. I love the book, but, you know, I think myself and a generation of Twilight Zone fans owe you thanks too because you know at a time when there wasn't much going on with the Twilight Zone you gave us such a a great product to kind of keep our love for it alive so thank you and thank you from all the listeners of the Twilight Zone podcast as well. Well I I appreciate that very much and for people that would want to hear the Twilight Zone I offer I give them I give people three free shows at Twilight Zone Radio Dot com. So twilightzoneradio.com, three free shows you can hear. I think I picked these shows just because they're like a little bit different mm-hmm. kind of genres, give people a taste of the Twilight Zone radio. But yeah. uh, I really appreciate what you're doing and, and for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carl. You know, sometimes I have to almost pinch myself when I realize how lucky I am to get to speak with people like Carl. What a great interview and some fascinating insights into his uh, process with classic radio and Twilight Zone radio. Just brilliant stuff. Now, I really want to thank Carl for taking the time to do that. I know he's a busy man because he's very successful at what he does and, and he's into TV production and many other things. So it really is great that he took the time to do that on the Twilight Zone podcast. Now at the end there, the sound dropped out a little when Carl mentioned his website where you can go and legitimately download episodes of Classic Radio Shows. So I'll just repeat it here, it is ClassicRadioStore.com and if you want to go to Twilight Zone Radio specifically, then go to TwilightZoneRadio.com and if you want to listen to Carl's radio show where he actually curates classic radio shows and he talks between them and gives little bits of movie news and that kind of thing then go to hollywood360radio.net now i will put all of these links in the show notes so you can check them out but i think at the very very least go and check out that episode of suspense that carl mentioned you know if it's the thing that has given him a lifelong love of radio or started it at least then maybe it's a good place for other people to start if they want to check out some classic radio. So that's enough from me for now. I will just mention before I go, in that last mini episode, I mentioned that the Twilight Zone podcast has been nominated for a Rondo Award. And, you know, it would be nice to win. I would really like that. And if you want to vote for the Twilight Zone podcast, then go to thetwilightzonepodcast.com slash Rondo and I've laid out the instructions there what you need to do to vote for the Twilight Zone podcast and I would really appreciate your support and if you came to the Twilight Zone podcast to hear this interview with Carl then I hope you stick around and I hope you go into the back catalogue at thetwilightzonepodcast.com and check out some of those old shows now Like any podcaster, you know, those early ones I was finding my feet. But gradually as it goes on, I think the show becomes exactly what I wanted it to be as I figure out those little gremlins on the wing. 
So thank you for listening and thank you again to Carl for taking the time to come on the Twilight Zone podcast and I will speak to you next time. Thank you.